if you will. I'm going to read Genesis 3 and, uh, and following. Genesis 3, 6 through 21. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some of it and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden and I saw and I was afraid because I was naked. So I hid and he, God said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? The man said, the woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. And the Lord said to the woman, what is this you have done? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me, I ate it. So the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you above all the livestock and all the wild animals. You will crawl on your belly and you will eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. To the woman he said, I will greatly increase your pains in childbearing and with, with pain and you will give birth to with pain, you will give birth to, to children. Your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. To Adam, he said, Because you listened to your wife and ate from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat of it. Which I commanded you, you must not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you'll eat of it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you'll eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow, you'll eat your food until you return to the ground. Since, it, since from it you were taken. For dust you are, and to dust you will return. Adam named his wife Eve, because she would become the mother of all living. The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife, and clothed them. Genesis 4. Adam lay with his wife Eve, and she became pregnant and gave birth to Cain. She said, With the help of the Lord I have brought forth a man. In Ephesians 5, 25, 33. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present to her to himself as a radiant church without sin, without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated his own body, but he feeds and cares for it just as Christ does the church, for we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I am talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you also must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Her husband. Reading of the word of the Lord. Let me just say we've enjoyed a lot of technical difficulties this morning. Um, 
mics weren't working properly. It wasn't anybody's fault necessarily. Some days you just come in here and the mics don't work properly. I apologize. It was hard to hear some of the singing. And so the technical difficulties just aren't mechanical. This morning they're biological, as you can hear my voice, what it sounds like this morning. All week long I've been kind of struggling with this throat thing. And I was like, Lord, not Sunday. And so this morning I woke up and most of my voice was gone. So I ask that you would bear with me in that as well. Um, But there is no technical difficulty. In the Lord's clarity in his scripture, he speaks clearly to us today as we do this second part on marriage. Last week we looked at the idea that I need you that God has called married people and people who are not even married to look at God and say, Lord, like husband and wife need each other, we need you. This week we'll look at something a little, I guess, um, more romantic. Not I need you, but I want you. I want you. I encourage you again to come. Uh, We're going to finish our relationship series next week. So we look at the relationship of the church, what it means to be the church. Now, we could probably take a whole year and talk about the church from Scripture, but we're going to look at how all the relationships that we've talked about, <clears throat> friendships, marriage, um, trying to think of the other ones, um, parent to children, children to parent, how they find their fulfillment, how they find their healing, not only where God meets that relationship, but how they find their healing in the relationships that we have here as the church. So I urge you not to miss that so that you can kind of get closure and hope on some of these relationships um, that we have explored. I'm going to take you back to the 80s for a minute. And I know that I risk sounding kind of corny. But listen to these words. And once I get to the chorus, you'll know what song I'm talking about. Most of you did grow up in the corny 80s. Got to take a little time, a little time to think things over. I better read between the lines in case I need it when I'm older. This mountain I must climb feels like a world upon my shoulders. Through the clouds I see love shine. It keeps me warm as life grows colder. In my life, there's been heartache and pain. I don't know if I can face it again. Can't stop it now. I've traveled too far to change this lonely life. I want to know what love is. I want you to show me. I want to feel what love is. I know you can show me. I remember this song being done by Foreigner on TV and they'd bring the choir in. And I thought it was kind of, my dad gets mad at that. Look at them stealing the church choir to do this music. But it was kind of right in this sense that the Lord has called us to um, a life in which we look to each other. If we want to know what love is, we ask ourselves, especially those called to Christ, and say, help me to know it. I need you to show it to me. But, you know, with the choir thing, I think it also adds another demel- uh, another uh, aspect to it, which is, Lord, we all want to know what love is. Help us to feel it. Help us 
to know it, whether married or single or single again, we all desperately want to feel. We want to feel wanted. We want to feel right and close to someone. We want to feel right because of someone else. We want to feel right emotionally. We want to feel that word right physically. What am I saying? We want to be known. We want to be acknowledged without shame. We want to be acknowledged without slander, without fear. And with that, we want the privilege of knowing someone else. But we have so much to be ashamed of. I don't know about you, but there is so much to be afraid of in me. I'm too damaged. And we have lived in a place where it is safer to keep who we are away and fake intimacy. To fake love so that we can appear acceptable and normal. Well, the Lord calls us to no longer fake it. But to seek the intimacy, not only in the marriage relationship, but what the marriage relationship teaches us about him. Hear the good news for us that the Lord God of heaven and earth calls his people to intimacy. An intimacy that is grounded in this redemptive fact. God wants you. God loves you. God has feelings for you. Get this, that God knows everything about you and he still wants and loves you. Kind of goes back to our Ephesians passage and we talked about the blur that Paul puts in his passage that he seems like he's talking about husband and wife relations and he says, but this is a profound mystery. And he says, you, you maybe think I'm talking about marriage, but I'm really talking about the relationship between Christ and his church that we're engaged to be the Lord's, that we're engaged to be married to him. And so what we get here is 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 whether, with that said, what, what we see in marriage relationship, if married, what we should experience is a knowledge. What the Lord promises is a knowing, a being known that is intimately redeeming. For God in his grace has made us to be intimate. What does this mean? It's that we are made, in particularly here in the marriage relationship, as we're talking about this relationship, we are made to be known. Look with me, if you will, at verse 24. I don't think we read this one. Verse 24 in in, in Genesis second chapter. I'm going to read this whole passage to you. It says, Now the Lord God had formed out of the garden all the beasts of the field and all the birds of the air. He brought them to the man to see what he would name them. And whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds of the air, the beasts of the field. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep, and while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. And the man said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and they will become one flesh. The man and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. I've done quite a few weddings. I've been in, I've seen lot, quite a few weddings. And without, uh, I mean, 99% of the time they read this passage at weddings. 
And 99% of the time, what happens? They read this passage and it's all beautiful. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother united to his wife and they will become one flesh. And then the reader comes to verse 25 and says, the man and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. And the room gets embarrassed. It never fails. One time someone was reading, they say, the man and his wife were naked and they felt no shame. Because everybody is there. There's the, there's the bride and the groom and there's tuxedos and there's all kind of pop. And they say, talk about being naked. All of a sudden it got kind of embarrassing. But true. The person, people getting married are called to be naked and not ashamed before the other. Now in this pretext, uh, pre-fall text, it tells us what we should be like and what we should long for. And that if anything strains or prevents this being known, this nakedness, it is a result of sin. But what it does teach us is that intimacy requires that you be naked. That, that you be vulnerable. That you be seen. That you have nothing to hide. That you lay it all out and lay it all open. That you and I be known. It also says that they were unashamed. Let me explain something to you. They were made without clothing. And, and they, they were made naked. They were made unashamed, which meant they it was natural for them to want to be known. You know, it's natural for us to want to cover up. I always, oh man, the worst dream I have is the one where you show up at the bus stop naked. You know, you... I don't know why that always happens to me. I don't know how I walked at the house and didn't realize I didn't have any clothes on, but you didn't realize it until you get at the bus stop and all your friends see you, and it's like you got to get on the bus, but, oh, man. What's different here is that before the fall, before sin enters, there is a unashamedness. It is your very nature to want to be known. Intimacy means then not only to be naked, but to put yourself in a position to see and be seen by the other. What it means is it requires two. The one who sees and the one who is doing the revealing. God brings the woman to Adam naked to see her, to see her rightly for her own good so that he could love her and know her according to the full beauty that God, how God had made her. So that she could be loved according to what and how God had made her and him. That he too would be naked and not hiding so that what he said about her would be confirmed by the obvious truth that she would see in him. When she says, when he says, you are bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh, for you were taking out a man, I will call you woman. And, and it was very obvious. First, he, he's telling what is true because what God has done and he's saying what he truly sees and then it's confirmed in her. Yes, I believe you telling the truth because I can see that about you. There is a knowledge of intimacy. I can see that. Now that I can hear and see, I know that to be true about me, Eve is saying, and you and what God has said be true about us. That if you are naked and unashamed, then that means you can be true with each other and to each other. That I love you means just that. I truly know you and I like it and I see it and I love it. Intimacy means not only to be known but to be acknowledged. Again, this 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 poetry 
I, I'm going to let you know this. This is the first. I mean, this is the first brother who broke up with the poetry. You know, he sees Eve and she, God gives her to me. He goes, whoa, you are bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. He probably sung it. So you have this passage in which he he addresses her. Let me, let me say, he actually dresses her. She's naked, but the, what is he, how does he describe her? What does he put on her? What worth does he give her? He addresses and dresses what he knows and sees in her based on what he sees and knows about his God. What does her nakedness do? This is the first half of intimacy. It says, I am naked. So I trust you to address me according to what you see. What this means is that you put your very identity on the line before the other person. You let them address you based on what they see according to two things. Two things. What is true and what they truly see. True here because I will argue that Adam before the fall has a vulnerability before his God. He knows God and God knows him. And that gives him the basis by which he looks at himself rightly. And then out of that rightly addresses Eve. What he does is he gives her the dignity and honor according to what is true about himself. Even though God creates Eve, get this. He does not do all the honors. Here is where the intimacy and knowledge and function of marriage comes in. He gives the intimate privilege of addressing this new creation to Adam. We have the basis for women, according to scripture, being called to submit to their husbands and for the husbands to wash their wives, making them beautiful. We see Eve here submitted and thus addressed, dressed in her nakedness, not only based on what is true, but what he truly sees before him. I see you and this is what I see. So get this. I will call you woman because God says you were taken out of me and I will say you are bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh because I can see that that is true the eyes here are like a mirror for eve they didn't have mirrors in the garden interesting maybe she looked in the lake and she could see herself or something but her mirror was the eyes of her husband you know how you look in the mirror to see how good you look or how bad you look, or whatever, or, or how to address things, or how to, you know, if, if you hear is not right, you, you push it back the other way, or whatever, or, or things not working right, or you see something in your face, you gotta wash it off. Well, well, Adam is Eve's mirror. She only knows herself well because of the way her husband actually looks at her. I would describe it as, you know, being able to see somebody in the eyes of another. Now, this takes work. I tried it with Kelly. You got to sit still. You really got to be able to look deep and you see yourself in the eyeball, in the pupil of the other person. And so what Eve does is when Adam comes to her, when Eve comes to Adam, he looks at her and he declares your bone of my bone, the flesh of my flesh. And he sees his, she sees his honesty about it and the truth. And it becomes a mirror for her to know herself. It's like the bride walking down the aisle. You know what happens. The bride comes down the aisle and everybody looks at the bride, right? But then for a quick moment, what do they do? They look at the groom. They want to see how he's looking. You know, is the brother crying? 
Is, you know, is he happy? Is he shocked because she's so beautiful? You know, it's that same thing. And what it does is it says, I know this woman is wanted and loved and beautiful. I don't have to look at her gown. All I have to do is look at the way this man looks at her. How does she appear in his eyes? It's most important. And of course, the second half of this intimacy we see in 4.1. Sister Adam lay with his wife, Eve, and she became pregnant and gave birth to Cain. She said, with the help of the Lord, I have brought forth a man. Uh, the other translation, I think, is, is a lot better. It says, he knew his wife. It's an awesome word for sex. But what it says is that that they were physically true with each other. That there was nothing between them. Again, that that in their physical nakedness, that this act was a oneness, a knowing. Now get this, in the sexual act, they actually find a sense of identity and give an identity in the nakedness and innocence of their very action. See, rightly from the Bible, from Genesis, in the right context, we get the origin of so-called pillow talk, of a pure call to to say my name, to say who I am. Now, Now get what I'm saying. That the sex act, along with the emotional, calls us, calls out and answers in a pure way. I know it's so hard in a fallen world to get this, you know, the bad things out your mind to hear this, but it actually says, who am I? That physically those questions are answered. Who are you? Who are we? I am your husband. I am your wife. I am Adam. I am Eve. I am a wonderful creation of God. Who are we? We are husband and wife. We are one. We are God's doing. This is what the act in naked impurity says. It answers so many questions. And the side here is, if we are engaged in this act outside of marriage, then what does it say about your identity? How far and what do those descriptions say to you? Is it saying you're being used? You're a user. I'm being used. You're not worth being committed to. No, a sex act in purity and nakedness between a man and a husband says, you're not being used. You are right and beautiful for me. Forever. What's the application? Well, this beautiful garden stuff. It is be known and know each other. To be intimate. To, to submit your nakedness to the other, to be dressed, if you will, by the words, to be addressed, to be loved, to be loving to one another. But I know for sure from my own experience, that the picture and practices of our marriages and our relationships and their intimacy is not as powerful and as perfect and not as serene as what we see Adam and Eve having. Every day, or maybe for some of you, no day spent with your husband or wife or person you love quite feels like the garden that Adam and Eve were in. You know, this, this, this garden of love is, is broken apart because Adam and Eve from the narrative, because of disobedience, they were forced out of the garden. In doing so, they no longer could live in that garden of nakedness and love. 
As a matter of fact, for many, marriage and intimacy, it, 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 it drums up images of pain and fear and sin and shame. The, the, the sin, the fall, not, not being right with God has put shadows on our intimacy. Now when you say the word intimacy, it, it's a weird world, word. It, it's, it's a word for idealist. Intimacy, yeah, right. It's something that, that it can't be. And in a fallen world with fallen hearts we have in, that we have inherited from Adam and Eve, now we are not naturally unashamed. What? We're naturally shamed. We're naturally, we're born having to fight to be intimate. We're naturally kept from each other in marriage. And if not married, we're keep, it keeps you from wanting it in the right context because you don't believe it. Like the song says, I want to know what love is because truly in my fallen world, I can't know what it is to be known. It's too much shame to really know what love is. The fall messes everything up. Sin messes everything up. Look what happens here. It says that from now on, and this is in the Genesis 3 passage, that now on Eve, when you give birth to children, it's going to be painful. Not only physically painful, but emotionally painful, because this is going to be a troubling world to raise your children in. Children are going to be hard on you, and you're going to mess up with them. Now get this. I want you to make the connection. That the fruits of sex, the fruits of oneness between a husband and a wife are going to be painful. They're not going to be good. There's going to be problems as a result. That now Adam has to work super hard. Adam and Eve have to work all the time. So the ability to actually sit with somebody and look in their eyes and be able to truly take the time to, to get to know each other is messed up now. Because you got to work because you got to eat. You can't be on a date all the time. you got to take a vacation once a year because the rest of the weeks... You're busy, too busy to really love the person, too busy to really know the person. Now they will struggle to have energy enough to even love each other. I know how some of you married folk are, not me, but y'all. <laughs> work so hard. It don't matter, sometimes you're just too tired. I'm not talking about physical, I mean even emotionally, you're just drained. My dad used to be, was a school teacher before he, I better not walk in front of that. My dad used to be a, a school teacher before he became a tour guide. And he used to come home pretty, you know, tired. And here we are, the same age kids he teaches school. Daddy! He's like, oh, great. We deal with people all day. We get tired. And there's a husband or a wife waiting on you. And they may have the day that says, man, I really need somebody to love me. And you're just too doggone tired to give it. I got this great movie we want to see. Oh, baby, I'm sorry. Or you come home and guess what? Kids, right? Oh, boy. Let's get in the mood for some romance. Oh, we got a blowout diaper. I mean, it just is so difficult. Worse, worst thing that happens. Look with me at, let's see what we see here. Worst thing that happens here is they cover themselves to God. That they, they now, the Bible says that they, they realized they were naked after sinning and so they, they sewed fig leaves to cover themselves and, 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 and so, man, 
We could talk all about the covering and why they covered certain parts and against God, and all these kind of things. But, but basically, they have a reason now to be rejected. They know in some way they're now unacceptable. They now know in some way their God is unacceptable to the way they think now. They want to cover those unacceptable and rejectable and vulnerable things to God because now he's their enemy. He's the offended. And so they, now they have to be defensive before him. Now here's the problem. If we are covered in shame before God, automatically we cover to each other. Remember that the nakedness is a created, natural, given intimacy by God that it comes from above that the man would be naked before his God. And and, and in that way, now he can be naked to his woman. If you miss the God connection, you can't truly be intimate with somebody else. That we, if we're not naked before our God, if, if we're not known by God, if, if we don't know our God as Lord, then guess what? We lie and live as a lie. We don't live to the full potential of relationships with each other in ourselves. I mean, just listen to some of the music. Right? A man is made in the image and likeness of God. He's given dignity and honor. There's only one reason why he would refer to his women with, with names of female animals. Because he sees himself before his God like a dog. You see, if, if, if our identity is in our intimacy, if we're not loved by God, you can't really love each other. We're just going to shoot it straight. I mean, I know there are people who don't know Christ and there's love and that's God's grace to them. But I'm here to tell you, redeeming true love and intimacy, it is not Really yours. It comes from above. Many of us have done the fig leaves. We found healing and comfort in promiscuous relationships, in pornography, in safe intimacy. Real intimacy now to us is an illusion. It's a danger. We don't want people to really see us. We can't trust other people to dress us and address us rightly and love and lavish us. So guess what? We want to know without being known. You know why we're such a voyeur society? It says something about our lack of truly being loved. You know, we want to look in at other people. We want to have relationships with other people, but we don't really want to be known. We're too afraid. We, 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 we know there's unacceptable things about ourselves. And so we do the fig leaves. We live in a world of lies and liars who have violated our God-created looks. We're, most of us here, again, are damaged goods. Some of, some of us are sexually abused. Some of us, by the world's mirrors, have been made to feel fat or not big enough or not pretty enough. And now we no longer submit to the mirror of the eyes of our husband or wives. Because they can't be trusted either. Now we're too ashamed to be naked before anyone. Some of us, we, we slept around a lot. We knew without being known a lot. It's like we have no more nakedness to offer. 
And what happens is real romance is tainted and twisted at the fall. But here's the good news. God does not lose his romance and intimacy for us. Scripture says he invades our relationships with the hope of being known. God invades the very womb of a woman in verse three, chapter three, fifteen. It is the it is it is a prophecy of the coming of Christ that God's going to superintend, that God's going to actually be a part of the process, part of a human intimacy. That God God is going to be intimate with humanity to save it. The call to be intimate then is no longer solely trustable by what you or I see or perceive about each other. By what, but now it must be pursued only and solely according to God's love for us. Look with me at verse 320 again. It says here, Adam named his wife Eve because she would become the mother of all living. That this woman that he called bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh, he is now praising. This is after the fall now. He is praising and he's blessing her once again with his words in light of an imperfect and sometimes cursed world where being a mother can be painful, where being in a marriage can have painful issues. He does it in the light of God's blessing. That God's going to superintend the process. That God's going to save us. And now he, he's able and free to redress his wife because of God's Promise to him. See, in a fallen world, the world's mirror says some degrading and backward things about our women, about our wives. You're not this. You're not this way. You don't have hair like this. You don't dress like this. You're not like that person. Look at that woman on the cooking show. Your meals don't come out looking like that. Um, you know, look at that woman's house on TV. Yours ain't like that. Um, you know, the, the mirror of the world has, uh, the, has, has illuminated the effects of the fall on women's bodies after childbearing or, 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 or what their lives are like, having to work harder for everyone else but themselves. And now what the Lord is saying is here is the redemption of marriage. That God himself is renewing romance. That like Adam, if God has lavished us with a new beauty, then and only then are we free to convey the true beauty and potential that is our wives because of God. Look at this. That your eyes now, the, the, the way you look at her physically and emotionally are actually used by God to become a new kind of mirror. The one that turns back the condemning impressions of the world, of sin. That when she looks, when she sees the way you look at her, in a fallen world where bodies changed from 4 to 14, right? From running every day to nursing every day. From always being at the gym to working hard every day. From short skirts and heels to sweatpants and tennis shoes. To look at her struggling in the fall of a changed lifestyle. From well-dressed, kick-butt career woman to, to mom. From college degree holder to cup holder. 
from PhD hoax to PhD, which means putting the husband through hoax, from dreamer herself to being a dream helper. To look at them in the light of God's wonderful and beautiful redemption of her. Out of her, out of his love for her, out of his romantic love for her, out of your own God changed heart and call by faith and say, baby, you know what? You are beautiful to me just the way you are. To say you are beautiful and important and I know things aren't right and I know they're hard, but you're impressive to God and me since he is at work and you and has blessed me with you. Baby, you've got it going on in my mirror. And if you just look at the way I look at you, you always look like the one who's on the front page of all of my magazines. To sing, really, ain't no woman like the one I got. It's redemption of a fallen world. Listen to this rap, if you will. It's really poetry by most deaf. Talking about his woman. He says, and then she arrived like daybreak inside a railway tunnel. Like the new moon, like a diamond in the mines, like high noon to a drunkard. Sudden, she made my heart beat in a now, now time signature. Her skinny canvas for ultraviolet brushstrokes. She was the sun's painting. She was a deep cognac color. Her eyes sparkled like lights along the new city. She, 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 her lips pursed as if her breath was too sweet and, and full for her mouth to hold. I said, you are beautiful. You are a beautiful distress of mathematics. I said, for you, for you, woman, I would peel open the clouds like a new fruit and give you lightning and thunder as dowry. I would make the sky shed all of its stars like rain and I would clasp the constellations around your waist. I would make the heavens your cape and they would be pleased to cover you. They would be pleased to cover you. May I please cover you. A call to to redress your wife. And for the woman, the call may come across scarier. (laughs) But in faith to have one mirror that matters the most. The eyes and words of your husband to continue to want and desire his affection for your well-being, to not harden up, not to not manipulate and run the romance to try to make it sort of happen. You know, one of the funniest things I ever saw was on Groundhog Day, the movie, and, and you know, the same day keeps happening over and over, and, and what really happens on the first day of his life is he falls in love with a woman, and there's a scene where they kind of fall in the snow, and it's just a magical moment, and so day two, he goes back and tries to make it happen again, oh, and it just, it's just too manipulated, it's too run, it isn't right, but what the, what, what, what you're call to is but you you must continue to remind him that you can stand for some more not manipulate but stand for some more what is the call to look to God for your husband to wash you to make your world mean something you know it was and I know we are perfect it's a given you know, it's like you hearing me preach. Come on, I'm 33-year-old pastor. I don't know what's going on. But the Lord uses it despite me. But your husband, he ain't got it right. No, he don't bring flowers every day. And then when he buys you something, it ain't the right color. You know, sometimes you got to say, don't you know me? Oh, I messed up. You know, it's one of those days he going to forget. 
But the Lord says, this is a means to make you beautiful. Man, Kelly and I, I was in seminary and we couldn't have no Bible study. It was hard. I didn't know how to deal with her. We always oh, struggle with Bible study. Lord have mercy. Every time we have a Bible study, we end up fussing. It wasn't her. I didn't know what I was doing. And then one day I was in one of my classes at a seminary and they were talking about marriage. And one lady says, man, and I knew the guy too. Man, my husband is terrible at leading Bible study. He's terrible at this. But he's my husband. 